Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to worship you. And right now, we acknowledge that your son Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And one day, each of us is going to stand in front of him. Each of us is going to bow before him. And God, I pray today as we focus on this topic, it's really important of what we can do to be ready for that moment, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in our spirits, in our souls, in our lives. And not only that he would speak, but that we would not only listen, but act, that we would be changed from the inside out so that we will be ready on that day when we see you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we move to this third week in our series, New Beginnings, if I had a do-over, we're going to go to an area that I have a lot of experience. It's not like last week when we talked about fasting, and I told you that I, I never really developed a pattern of fasting as a young follower of Jesus Christ. But the reason I'd like a do-over on this topic, which is accountability, is because of those few times in my life when I really thought I could do without it. The impact of those times on me and on the lives of those around me makes me wish that I had a do-over. As we say each week in this series, well, while we don't have do-overs, we can have new beginnings. Thankfully, after falling short at various times in my younger adulthood when it comes to this area of accountability, I have established an accountability relationship that's now been going on for more than a quarter of a century. So right now, let's take a moment to define accountability. Accountability is the fact or condition of being accountable, responsibility. As Jesus followers, we are accountable to God. One day, we're actually going to stand in front of Jesus and we're going to give an account or a record of everything we've done in our lives to him. I've said many times that my job as your pastor is to equip you so that the day that you face Jesus is the best day of your eternity. I'm committed to that with all my heart. And here's the reason. According to the author of the Hebrews, the role of spiritual leaders is to do exactly that. And the reason is, it says this, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. If I'm one of your spiritual leaders, and I am, if you're part of New Life Christian Ministries, what that means is your job is to submit to my leadership, and my job is to watch over your soul, over your very soul, as one who is going to stand in front of Jesus someday, not only to account for my own life, but also to give an account of how I've dealt with each one of yours. So, even if you don't care about your, ability, your accountability before God, I do. And I want you to know this, I am not responsible for you before God, but I am responsible to you. What that means is, if I tell you how to deepen your relationship with God in Jesus Christ, if I tell you how to live that life out, and I show you the ways to do it, and then I actually live that out before you as an example, as a role model, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, then I won't be responsible for what you do with that but I am responsible for, to you to make sure that I do tell you the truth 
of Jesus Christ in love, that, that I show the scriptures to you and help you to understand what they mean, that I help you to live faithfully, and once again, that I actually do that. I have to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. The author of the Hebrews said, it's better for you if you let your spiritual leaders do their job or their work with joy, not with groaning, because that would be of no advantage to you. Last Sunday afternoon, I had a Zoom meeting to welcome all the folks who were going to be in the Monday morning through Friday morning prayer times during our Pursuit 21 Days of Prayer. So I had no idea how many people were going to come. I opened up the Zoom meeting and soon five of you were there, then 10, then 20, then 30. Ultimately, more than 40 of you joined us as we talked about what this, this 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting was going to mean for us. We prayed together. We laughed together. We talked about how we needed to stay the course when we probably would get tired of it and didn't want to continue doing it. And maybe some of you might be there at this point where, you know, eight days into our 21 days of prayer and fasting. But as we did that, it filled my heart with joy. And I'll tell you something else. The next day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, actually every day this week when we came together at 630 in the morning on those Zoom calls and, another t and about 50 of you came every single day. That also filled my heart with joy because I knew what we were doing in that time is we were growing together. We were sharing the new life of Jesus. We were living the way Jesus created us to live. And that means that if we continue to do things like that in our daily lives, that one day when you stand in front of Jesus, it's going to be a good day. And it's going to be a good day for me too. So today's message is about how we can prepare ourselves better for that day. Before we turn to today's take-home point, I want to make, uh, basically just say a couple things about this moment when each of us is going to stand in front of Jesus. Because I know that there are many people, even followers of Jesus, who really don't think much about that day because they think when they stand in front of Jesus, it's sort of going to be like Jesus is going to say, all the, all the oxen free, game's over, come on into heaven and have a great time. Other people have the idea that, well, you know, I don't really, I don't really think that much about what's going to happen when I die. I, I need to live this life. And some people actually think nothing happens after we die. Jesus, Paul the Apostle, and the other leaders of the early church believe that when we die, an amount, a moment of accountability comes. Actually, two moments of accountability. Those who have never trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord will be separated from those who have. That's the first amount line of accountability. And for that line of accountability, there's really only one question. Have you been born again? Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior, meaning your rescuer from sin and death, and Lord, which means master or owner? If the answer is yes, then life continues in a new and amazing and glorious way that we can't even imagine right now. But if the answer to that question is no, then Jesus tells us that we're going to be cast out into a place of outer darkness where we will weep and gnash our teeth. So the second moment of accountability is for those who have said yes to Jesus, who are going to live with him forever. And when I've spoken with about this kind of accountability in the past, some of you have said to me, you're wrong because Jesus really doesn't care how we live after we have trusted him as Savior and Lord. He died on the cross to take away our sins, so he's not going to judge us for how we live. Now, let me say, I agree 100 percent that Jesus Christ dying on the cross is the only reason that any of us have our sins forgiven, is the only reason that any of us are going to be in heaven. But I do believe 
that after we have trusted Jesus as Savior and Lord, it matters how we live. Before, no, it doesn't matter because we can't do anything to earn our way in, into heaven. There's no way that we can be good enough or try hard enough to earn access into heaven. So here's the thing. Because it is my task to keep watch of you, over you, and over your souls as one who's going to give an account to Jesus, I want to assure you, let me assure you right now that what you do here, how you live here, after you receive Jesus' gift of salvation, does matter. And I capitalize the word after because until we receive Jesus' gift of salvation, it doesn't matter what we do, but afterwards, it does matter. Jesus tells us that when we trust him as Savior and Lord, we're born again. We have a whole new life. And he wants us to live that life in a way that brings him glory and honor. He calls us to live as new creations, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. If you missed that message, I hope that you'll go back and watch it. But right now, I want you to read what the Apostle Paul said about this whole new life and how we're supposed to live in a new way. He wrote this, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. I love that analogy because I used to be a carpenter. We built houses. And I know how important the foundation is to any structure. Paul told the Corinthian Christians that as their spiritual leader, he had laid the one and only foundation for our lives. That foundation is Jesus Christ. In Paul's analogy, you and I are houses. We are the houses. We are being built on the foundation of Jesus. And he goes on to say that after the foundation is laid, we start building those houses. He writes, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. What was Paul saying? Who builds a house with gold, silver, jewels, or really anything on his list of six items except for wood? Well, remember, it's an analogy. The house we are is the life we live. The house we are is the life we live. So gold, silver, and jewels represent good works, the good things that we do with our lives. The wood, hay, and straw are evil works or sin. We know that because of how Paul finishes out the analogy. But here's the point. How we live after we receive Jesus' salvation matters to Jesus. He's watching over us. He's encouraging us. He's correcting us and guiding us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the written word of God, and through other believers. So let's look at what happens after our house is completed. It says, but on the judgment day, fire we re will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. So when we stand in front of Jesus one day, it says that fire is going to be applied to our house. Fire is always a symbol of judgment in the word of God. So Jesus is going to judge what we have done with our lives. He would, he's going to hold us accountable. So if we build our houses with gold, silver, and jewels, the houses are going to stand. But if we build our houses with wood, hay, and straw, with sin, then all of that is going to be burned away. Now, look at how Paul put it. He says, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Do you see Paul's point? 
Good works bring Jesus' reward in the next life. Notice if we build our houses with wood, hay, and straw, we are still saved. We are still going to make it into heaven. But it will be as if we are passing through the flames, a wall of flames. So let, let me put it this way. When you stand in front of Jesus, do you want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master's kingdom, or do you want him to be standing there with a fire extinguisher dousing the flames off of your body? Now, I know that's very direct, but I am watching over you as one who is going to give an account. So that means it might not matter to you how you live after you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but it matters to me. Much more importantly, it matters to Jesus. So I've laid all of this groundwork to establish that we are going to be accountable. We're going to stand in front of Jesus and give an account one day. And right now, what we're going to start to do now is look at how we can best prepare ourselves to be ready for that moment. So let's look at today's take-home point. We will give an account to Jesus one day, and having an accountability partner is an important step in being ready for that moment. Because we are going to give an account to Jesus one day, one of the best ways I have found in my life to be ready for that is to have an accountability partner. The best verse I know for the importance of accountability partners is Proverbs 27, verse 17. It reads, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, in the older translations, it said, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Here at New Life, for pretty much all 20 years of New Life's history, I have had men's groups or men's small groups or men's classes. And the reason for that is because I want to help men become ready. And I also want to help women, of course, but, but I've had this focus on men really in the history of New Life. That's, that's always been there. In every one of those classes or small groups, I've said, it's important for you to have an accountability partner. Sometimes I've really harped on it. Sometimes I've sort of just mentioned it passing. But the reason is because I know how important it is my own, in my own life. For more than a quarter of a century, for 25, 27 or 28 years, actually, I've been in an accountability relationship. And my accountability partner knows the good, the bad, and the ugly about Chris Marshall. If you want to know the good and the bad and the ugly about me, uh, don't ask my accountability partner because he's only going to tell you the good. That's part of being an accountability partner. An accountability partner is someone who shares growth in Jesus Christ with us by affirming the gold, silver, and jewels and by challenging the wood, hay, and straw of our lives. The only time in my life when I was in any real danger of walking off the path of following Jesus was those few times when I didn't have an accountability partner who would say to me, hey, Chris, you're building with straw right now. You need to get back on the path. For the rest of this message, I'm going to offer some practical things that we need to know about accountability partners because every time I tell people they need to have an accountability partner, what they say is, hmm, I'm not sure. There's some pushback. They start making excuses. So here are three realities of finding and growing with an accountability partner. Number one, your spouse is and is not your accountability partner. Your spouse is and isn't your accountability partner. A lot of folks have told me, I don't really need an accountability partner. I'm married. I have a wife. I have a husband. So that's my accountability partner. Now, um, if we lived in a world that was perfect, if the fall had never happened, that would be 100% true. Because after all, we're told in Genesis 2.25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Adam and Eve 
were made by God and they were made perfectly by God. There was no sin, no wood, hay, and straw in their lives. And they, you know, their nakedness before God was not just physical nakedness. They had no secrets. They were vulnerable. They, they shared everything with each other. They could be perfect accountability partners for each other. But just because they could be doesn't mean they were. In fact, when Eve was tempted by the serpent, Adam was right there. And he didn't do anything. He just stood passively by watching. He didn't protect Eve. He didn't challenge Eve. He didn't correct Eve. He just watched. And as a result, Eve committed the first act that would be an act that we would call wood, hay, or straw. The first sin came into the universe. And ever since that time, there has never been a human relationship, marriage or otherwise, that has been perfect again. That means that when we marry, in my case, my wife Nancy is to love and respect me, and I'm to love and respect her. And we share our lives together, and we do share accountability for a lot. But there's something that I've discovered, and I discovered it many years ago. Men and women are different. I, I don't always understand women. I mean, I just don't. And I know, according to modern thinking, there's really not that much difference between men and women. In fact, the differences uh, of gender are fluid, and maybe they've been misassigned. But that isn't what God said in creation in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. He said we are very different. In fact, he created us male and female. And only in that image of male and female do we reflect the fullness of God. And so there are unique traits, unique characteristics. And that's why I don't really understand women fully. There are some things that I just don't get. In fact, my accountability partner, Bill Gebhardt, over the years, there have been many times when I've said to him, hey, Bill, does Margaret, that's his wife, does Margaret do X? And he'll say, yes. Does Nancy? And I'll say, yes. And I'll say, why? And we look at each other and go, we have no clue. And that's because of those differences. And it doesn't happen a lot, but I mean, over 27, 28 years, it's happened. And what's happened because of that, I realize that because of the difference, Nancy isn't just trying to drive me crazy in those moments when I don't understand what's going on. She's just being a woman. And it's helped me because I've had this accountability relationship with Bill to understand how to navigate through that and to become more effective as a man and as a husband in those situations. So that leads me to the second reality of accountability partners. Your accountability partner needs to be someone of the same sex. Now, am I saying that men and women shouldn't be friends with each other? Of course not. I'm not saying men and women shouldn't be friends with each other. I'm saying men and women shouldn't be accountability partners with each other. That's because an accountability re relationship is an intimate relationship. You're going to share your gold, silver, and jewels and your wood, hay, and straw with that person. And that kind of an intimate relationship shouldn't be um, engaged in with a person of the opposite sex, except for your spouse. Even redeemed people shouldn't do that. You know, Pastor Alex is going to talk about the deep friendship between David and Jonathan next week. And David and Jonathan were, in the truest sense, accountability partners. And there have been some in our day who have said that David and Jonathan were homosexual lovers. The reason they say that is because of how close they were. And they want Jonathan and David to have been in that relationship because then it would, it would justify the relationship they're in. But really more than that, they just don't see how two men could love each other the way that Jonathan and David did if there wasn't something more than an accountability relationship there. But they don't understand how deep those accountability relationships become. There truly is a joining of souls in that relationship. 
Now, I know that just made some of you, maybe all of you, uncomfortable when I said that. It raises questions and excuses for why you don't have an accountability partner. So here's the third reality of accountability partners. You will find many excuses for not developing an accountability partnership. And I'm gonna list four of them right now. The first one is, I don't have time to develop that kind of relationship. Now, people say that about all kinds of relationships. In fact, every meaningful relationship requires time. And what I know is that I will always make time for what is important to us. We will always make time for what's important for us. I don't want to go too far down this path because Pastor Barry and Pastor Alex are going to be talking about those relationships of our lives that are so important over the next couple of weeks. But, but simply, I just want to say that an accountability relationship doesn't take a tremendous amount of time. I know people that play golf, and that takes four or five hours every week in the spring, summer, fall, and some of you even try to do it in the wintertime. I know that many of you watch television 20, 30 hours a week. And I know from a, a recent study that if you're 18 years old and you're a male, that you've spent, on average, 10,000 hours playing video games. So here's the truth about accountability relationships. A meaningful accountability partnership starts with an investment of one or two hours a week. Really, you can't stand more than that. I mean, if you're a man especially, you're not going to be able to stand more than an hour or two of building a relationship where you're going to share the gold, silver, and jewels, the wood, hay, and straw of your lives. So the next excuse people offer is this. I can't trust anyone with the wood, hay, and straw of my life. And that's a legitimate concern at first. I mean, we're going to be talking about the sins of our lives. So how do we know we can trust the person to be trustable? That is, how do we know they're not going to tell everybody else about it? The short answer to that question is, you don't know. You can't be sure. In fact, that's why it's so important to take time in establishing an accountability relationship. I remember when I was in seminary, I was told that I should never have close friends in the church that I served. And the reason is because if I had a close friend and they turned against me, they could share with everybody and tell people the wood, hay, and straw that were going on in my lives, and that would ruin my credibility. When I heard that, I actually sort of laughed under my breath, and I said, really? Does anybody, when I get to be in a church, is anybody really going to think that I'm perfect? And the reality is, if you've known me for more than 10 minutes, you know that I'm not perfect. Over the years here at New Life, I've shared my weaknesses and challenges that I've had. And, and I've told you, you know, my name, it doesn't end with a T. There's no T there. It's just Chris. But I've also shared with you some of the, the ways that God has worked by the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen me and change me over the years. I mean, that's part of what I, as, as your spiritual leader, part of my responsibility is to set an example and, and also to say when I have it, to confess that and admit that. But the reality is, over the years, I've grown significantly in my relationship with Jesus. And a big part of that is because I do share all the wood, hay, and straw of my life with Bill. He's prayed with me and he's prayed for me over the years about those things. And I, I'm not going to share all of those things with you. The great thing about an accountability partner is this. If I share something like that with Bill and somebody else knows about it, then I know who, I know who said it. And that's why I don't recommend having more than one or two, at most, accountability partners. The next um, excuse is sort of following up from that. I don't need an accountability partner because I have a small group. 
Well, I think everybody should have a small group. I've been in small groups for 35 years. Here at New Life, we know that if you get in a small group, it'll help you to connect, to be protected, and to grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. But this is the thing. When you're in a small group, you have four, eight, 12 people, and in that size of a group, you might not feel comfortable sharing the wood, hay, and straw of your life simply because with that many people, if the word gets out, how do you know who who said it? And, And I'm not saying that you won't develop that kind of close relationship in your small group, or maybe you can share that kind of stuff even with eight or 12 people. But I think that an accountability partnership is sort of a next step beyond even a small group relationship, which can be so amazing and bring so much blessing where you can actually sort of be sharpened a little bit more to go back to that verse, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. You get to have that one-on-one relationship. The final excuse I'm going to offer is simply this. I tried to have an accountability partner and it didn't work. I get that. I mean, when you invest the kind of time it's going to take over, you know, weeks and months and years to invest in an accountability partner and that accountability partner betrays your trust or doesn't, um, you know, have the same kind of investment that you do or basically maybe doesn't grow as you grow in their faith. And so there's sort of this mismatch over time. That's hard. It's challenging. And, and you might feel like all of the investment isn't really worth it. So the only solution to that because we're human beings, we're broken and fallen, and we're going to hurt each other one, and not, at one time or another. We have, you know, Bill and I have hurt each other, and I think at times we might even want to punch each other, but we've always done what I'm going to talk to you about right now. We've brought Jesus into the mix. Now, Jesus is our ultimate accountability partner. The reason he's our ultimate accountability partner is because he's with us every single moment and because he's always ready to correct and guide and listen to us. You know, there have been times over the years when I've been about to do something which was gonna be an act of wood, hay, or straw, and I've said to myself, I'm not gonna do that because I'm gonna have to tell Bill. And then I've realized, wait a minute, Jesus is right here. He's with me right now. He sees what I'm doing. He knows what I'm thinking. But in those moments, what I've realized is simply this. While Jesus is our ultimate accountability partner, we still need someone to sharpen us and for us to sharpen. When I say Jesus is the solution to those times in our accountability relationships where we're having difficulty, it's because Jesus forgave us. He forgave us of all the wood, hay, and straw of our lives. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for every sin that we ever have committed or ever will commit. And that's, that's an amazing, powerful fact that we apply in our accountability partnership. So when I am you know, upset at Bill or Bill's upset at me, then we apply the forgiveness that we've received from Jesus to each other. If it still doesn't work when you've done that, then you probably need to find someone else. I don't know anyone else who's had an accountability partner for 27 or 28 years, but I've reaped the blessings of that. I've also invested in a few other accountability relationships over the years. Had I moved to another area, I've been here 30 years in this area, but if I had moved away, one of the first things that I would have done is I would have started praying for God to give me an accountability partner and I would have started looking. It's that important. Last weekend, I called us to fast because over the past year, I've realized how important fasting is just over the last year. It's so much easier for me to ask you to take the step of faith of finding an accountability partner because I know from more than a quarter of a century of experience how important it is of investing the time and effort necessary to find one and, and to live with that 
person helping you to get ready for that ultimate accountability when you stand in front of Jesus. I've experienced the blessings of and challenges of having one, and so I am better prepared to give my account to Jesus when I stand in front of him one day. So you're going to be too when you have an accountability partner. This week's next step is very simple. It might not be easy, but it's simple. Here it is. I will start or continue an accountability partnership in 2021. I can promise you, if you will do that and continue living out an accountability partnership in your life, that you're going to be better prepared to stand in front of Jesus one day. And you almost assuredly, when you stand in front of him, will have far more gold, silver, and jewel. Your house is going to stand and you're going to receive Jesus' reward. Amen. During the message, I talked about two moments of accountability that we're going to have when we face Jesus one day. And the first is concerning, have we ever trusted Jesus as Savior, the one who rescued us from sin and death, and Lord, which means a master or owner, have we been born again? If you've never, if you've never been born again, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, it's simple, not easy, but simple. As we say here at New Life, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, we admit to Jesus that we're sinners. Admit to God the Father that we're sinners. God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we admit to God, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. There's a lot of wood, hay, and straw in my life. B, we believe in Jesus. Not just believe about Jesus, that there was a guy that lived 2,000 years ago named Jesus, but we believe in him with all of our hearts that he is Savior and Lord in our lives. And then C, we confess to God our sin the wood, hay, and straw of our lives. It's not enough to just even you know, tell our accountability partner. We need to tell God and we need to ask him to forgive us and wash that away with the blood of Jesus. And then we confess to others around us that Jesus is Lord and Savior in our life. We do that with our families first, most likely, our friends, those at work and those at school. And as we do those three things, what we're gonna find is our lives are gonna start to change from the inside out. If you'd like that to be the reality for you, would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day and this blessing of being with these folks who are eager to find out more about you. And God, I pray right now, I pray right now that any who are watching and listening who have never trusted your son Jesus, Savior and Lord, would pray with me. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I have wood, hay, and straw in my life and, and I, I need help. God, I admit to you and I, I believe that your son Jesus is Savior and Lord. I believe that he has saved me, rescued me from my sin, from my wood, hay, and straw. That he has, right now, is becoming Lord of my life. I'm going to let him tell me how to live. And God, I confess to you my sin, the, the, the parts of my life that are broken, and I ask you to uh, redeem them and restore them. And I ask you, God, um, to give me the boldness to tell other people about Jesus. I pray this in his name. And God, I pray for all of us who have already committed our lives to Jesus, Savior and Lord, that right now we would seek out an accountability partner if we don't have one, that you would help us with that and maybe you give us an idea of who that person is. And God, fill us anew with your Holy Spirit so that we can live our lives to your glory, honor and praise, that we can build our houses with gold, silver and jewels. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, 
Go out into the world in peace. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Render to no one evil for evil, but always turn back evil with good. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all today and until we see Jesus face to face. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. God bless.